welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. Now, I have something pretty fun for us today. Um, it's going to be part three in my 1920s series, and we're going to be talking all about the seminal Downton Abbey. Now, I've been binging Downton Abbey after the release of the newest movie, and as ever, I fell in love with the costume, and particularly, I'm sure you'll agree, that trouser suit that Sybil wears in season one. Iconic. <laughs> but it did get me thinking, how authentic is this costume? And well, the answer is very. There's a reason Downton Abbey is so beloved and has stayed in the period drama consciousness for so long and with so much vigour, because most notably, the costuming is just bloody fantastic. <laughs> I'll never forget Lady Mary's chokers in season one, that luxurious blue velvet coat she wears, that one trimmed with fur, her riding outfits and that incredible full-length black and white beaded outfit she wears in the first movie which at that point we're really in the 20s. Can you tell I'm a Lady Mary fan? <laughs> but without further ado let's have a little foray into what Downton Abbey did so well and some of the looks from this beloved period drama specifically. <laughs> focus mainly on the women in this episode particularly the three sisters because they have well the richest wardrobe in more ways than one and there's just the most to discuss here i think and at the end of the day the most thought and time and effort probably went into making a diverse costume for these characters compared to many of the other characters because arguably they are the main three but with that in mind i'm actually in the process of writing an episode on below stairs costume so do listen out for that as it will sister nicely with this one when it comes out so the series begins in april 1912 with the sinking of the titanic this isn't a spoiler as it happens within probably the first 10 minutes of the show <laughs> this storyline runs pretty much through to the late 1920s ending currently with the newest 2022 movie which is seeing the end of the 20s and will ease us into the 30s era of downton now there is a lot of nuance in the fashions of these 15 years period and as many episodes recently sort of highlighted, the 20s in particular has a huge place in our fashion history consciousness. And it's attached greatly to the liberation of women and particularly the image of the flapper. And so Downton is a really interesting and unique representation of a foray of style from this time period. And the slow organic changes that happened and the not so slow change that happened with things like haircuts and silhouettes. And they marry this really, really well. They're not going from sort of mid-1910s more buttoned-up fashion suddenly to dressing like feathered flappers all day every day. It is a slow natural progression that is sort of not seen particularly often in media and I think that's what Downton does so perfectly. Now the Conical family, the Crawley family, are made up at the most basic level of husband and wife, grandmother and three sisters, Lady Mary, Lady Edith and Lady Sybil. These girls are very high up on the English social ladder and so are required to steer it to a very strict dress code and this is perfectly represented in this show there are for example many mentions of dressing for dinner even though the only people they're going for dinner with are their family which seems a little odd for us now but women in this area would change five to seven times a day for all different reasons dinner being one of them and this would have been impossible to do alone as well the outfits were detailed and layered and complicated which again this show represents perfectly for both the earlier eras and into the 20s 
Now, as I said, this series begins in 1912, and in the 1910s, in contrast to the hoop skirts of previous decades, the 1910s brought a very new trend, and this is where skirts were tightened around the ankle. These skirts looked almost like a longer flowing version of the pencil skirts that we see today, and they would have been worn with a small jacket, a tunic, or a fur-lined coat. There were many influential fashion designers of this time period, and two of the most sort of well-known would be Jacques Doucet and Mariano Fortuny. The French designer Jacques Doucet excelled in creating outfits that were pastel in colours and created these very elaborate dresses that were pastel, shimmery and would have reflected light. And as I said, the 1910s opened with a softer silhouette than the decade before, which had been dominated by this S-shaped body shape. And the body was very contorted and created into a new body shape by corsets. And this softened into a more natural silhouette. And these pastel colours introduced by Jacques were perfect for this silhouette and really fitted the kind of softer, more A-line body shape that started to become popular. Now, these styles still had an emphasis on the bust, as you see with the sort of shorter jackets and the tighter topped corsets, but it was a lot less emphasis on a contorted body shape, a small waist and a bigger bum. This style was sort of popular in the early 1910s, in 1912, to around 1914, in which we began to see a very strongly cemented Edwardian silhouette that was quite different to its Victorian predecessor. Women began to wear lacy shirtwaists and long, narrow skirts that fell to the top of the foot. And the tunic, introduced by Paul Poiret, based on a Russian peasant look, came to blend with the sort of shorter military-style tunic worn during the Great War, all of which can be seen worn by these sisters at one time or another, even down to this distinctive underwear. For example, in season two, the ladies wear a lot of very high-waisted A-line skirts with seemingly separate little shirt jackets or blouses that cut at the ankle for daytime, often with little to no adornment or accessories other than perhaps a drop necklace or earrings, and more elaborate beaded dresses with thicker waistbands, lower necklines, and often smaller, dainty, lacy sleeves for dinner. They also clearly still have their corsets on, but the silhouette is far less exaggerated than if the show had been set 10 or 15 years earlier, which fits with what was popular at the time period. And the women's bodies are straight and taut, with only the waist as the most accentuated part in the bust. The 1910s saw a simple silhouette, as I said, and this eventually merged nicely into the even simpler silhouette of the 1920s, in which the boxy shift dresses were seen worn by flappers, but also by people just day to day, and especially women of a higher calibre such as the Crawleys. Now with all this in mind, for Downton a great deal of the costumes were original costumes and the fabrics were even found by specialists to be as authentic as possible. They drew inspiration from costumes of the royal family and based designs off of these and were even loaned original diamond tiaras from Bentley and Skinner, which I think is a um, auction house in London. They also really thought about these costumes, not just individually, but as an ensemble, as in how each would look with its partner together. And I really love this because when you watch the ball scenes or the dinner scenes, there's so much thought that has gone into how the outfits would work together in terms of colour scheme, cut and just level of decoration, which is also very true of this time period. You represented yourself as part of your family and so you would need to look like a cohesive group. And the fashion was one of the ways this would have been succeeded in. 
I also think it is brilliant that so many of these costumes were truly authentic 1910s and 1920s pieces because it really just gives you this authenticity that is difficult to recreate now. There's materials that we don't use, there's ways of stitching that now people don't do and there's just so many small things that it's almost irreparable and I don't know how or why <laughs> this happens because you know you should be able to use patterns and stitching from a time period and be able to recreate it but it is just done differently so this authenticity is is really hard to recreate. In the same vein, I also want to point out just how detailed each costume is to the respective character. And this really shines through with the designs and the original costuming they were buying. Now, I know there obviously is an argument here about repurposing original costumes and having them be worn. But in this instance, I personally think it can be seen as a positive. As like I said, it is something that's really, really hard to replicate. And also these clothes are now getting a whole new lease of life. They were often worn more than once for the show characters would rewear outfits and perhaps would have otherwise been left to disintegrate and weather away in storage or I don't know in people's attics or in shop and now have been seen by millions and appreciated for the beauty that they are. One thing that Downton also does that I'm just in love with is, as I said, repeating dresses and other garments too, like hats and gloves. This would have been done at these time periods, despite what we may think. Today, we, I think, are rigorously expected to be seen in new clothes all the time, I think, especially with the pressure of social media. And so I found that there's a general idea that those of a higher class with more money in history would have done the same thing. But dresses were catered for on the whole to you and your body and would have costed a small fortune at the highest end. And so clothes were not made like they are today, fast and with very little care, but would have taken time to design, to fit and actually make. And so people would have repeated their garments. Lady Sybil, for example, re-wears this gorgeous 1910s purple dress with a white collar and Lady Mary even rewears her evening clothes quite often. For example, she wears this red velvet beaded dress, even with the same recurring matching accessories in a few different episodes. With this in mind, I also read that some of the pieces were never even washed, which is also very authentic to how clothes were used and worn in these earlier time periods, because people didn't really wash their clothes like we do now because of the intricacies of the outfits. It was a completely different landscape. You know, you didn't have detergent, you didn't have fairy, you had sort of soap and horrible things like this which is why you hear the whole thing of laundry day and wash day because there would be one day every few months where everything would be washed purely because of the process of this and also don't forget how long it would have taken for things to dry I can't even dry my clothes now <laughs> very quickly we don't have a dryer but I can't even imagine how long it would have taken for these layered, beaded, velvet clothes to dry in homes that were very damp often. It just would have been such a process. And so people just didn't really wash their clothes. And it was a completely different way of living that we're used to. And I think that we expect for this time period. So the fact that Downton did this, I think is, I don't know, really authentic. And I really love it. I think it probably made the characters feel a lot more like they could represent the time period better because they were sort of living it in a way. Now, I think I'm going to move on to begin with some of the very first looks we see, as these really cement the era and represent these early 1910s. They're very soft coloured, they're low slung at the neck, corseted and fit down to the ankle. It's perfect for the era for 1912 and each outfit, in my eyes at least, 
looks very catered to and designed for the actresses and their characters. Now I love looking at this first episode because whilst the outfits are glaringly different to what we see one later, particularly in the movie, it also makes you realise that over the course of the series, the changes aren't jarring but happen slowly and organically as you watch it. Mary ends up, for example, very 1920s in style. She wears shirts and ties and has a sleek bob but the change doesn't happen overnight and you almost forget how she looked in this very first episode when you're watching the later ones and the same can be said for everyone really except perhaps for Maggie Smith's character who obviously being an older character wouldn't have adopted the modern styles in the same way but it's also just perfect for the dowager's character because she's also you know quite against some of the changes that are happening so she would have steadfastly and stubbornly stuck with her Victorian <laughs> fashion which again is just perfect. Now thinking about season one we have to talk about Sybil's outfit from season one the trouser suit. <laughs> This was designed by Susanna Buxton and was designed with some very rigorous research. Now, it's not a look associated with this era typically, but that is the point. It's called a jupe culotte, inspired by Paul Poiret, who I mentioned earlier, and the top section of the bodice was made from an original costume from the early 1910s, as stated in a video on Glamour, which merged together the golden sleeves of another period dress. And what I love about this outfit is that Lady Sybil's kind of ideas and her ideals and her morals are just exemplified by this whole outfit. Jupe culottes were often associated with, with the women's rights movement and that was one of Lady Sybil's passions. Layer by layer, it really is just perfect. The undergarments um, would often have been a combination of chemise and drawers and they would have been made of cotton and would include some decorative details like lace or ribbon. And that is something you can be seen as she's getting dressed, including the stockings. They would have been finely knitted and fastened above the knee using garments which may have been attached to the bottom edge of the corset. Speaking of the corset, despite how modern this ensemble is, a woman of Lady Sybil's social position would still be expected to wear traditional undergarments, which did include a corset. As I said earlier, it was still an expectation of women, despite the general softening of fashions. According to a video on Glamour told by a fashion historian, as I got a lot of this specific information from, corsets in 1913 aimed to elongate the torso, beginning just under the bust and extending down down to about the mid-thigh. The brassiere or bra would be patented in 1914, but women were not necessarily quick to adopt it, as I'm sure we see with a lot of the changes that happen in this time period. Now, the overlayer of this, the jupe culotte, it literally translates to skirt trousers. <laughs> These are kind of loose trousers that are gathered at the ankle and they were sometimes called Turkish trousers or harem pants. And I'm sure you know the phrase harem pants um, as it's something I think people still use today, I think. And they were championed by Paul Poiret, again, whose name crops up a lot in this, whose sort of more orientalist designs from the early 20th century are really quite legendary in fashion history and were seen adopted and designed a lot in this time period. Now for her shoes, Sybil wears a standard pair of evening shoes from the period which are made of silk with a curved heel and a single strap, as this video from Glamour says. Next up, gloves. Lady Sybil wears champagne-coloured elbow-length gloves and women of this social status are expected to wear gloves with an evening ensemble, but they would be removed when eating dinner. This is something I will mention later. Finally, the last layer. Sybil wears a wide metallic embroidered headband with an inset jewel to match her blue ensemble. According to 
to the costume designer of this who I mentioned earlier. This was an original antique piece from the period. This is accurate, but there is another option for a fashionable accessory here. Because dupe culotte ensembles were influenced by orientalist designs, the most avant-garde women would sometimes opt to wear a fashionable turban instead. Like Sybil's headpiece, there was often a central decorative element like a stone or a spray of feathers, and this ensemble points to a very specific point in fashion history and is really quite accurate. It also feeds nicely into the changes that were happening slowly in this time period, and I imagine you associate turbans or feathered headdresses quite a great deal with the 1920s because that was a part of the flapper outfit as well, but the sort of baby of that later popular fashion style was being seen in this early 1910s. A lot of the time these fashion changes don't happen overnight as, you know, sometimes it can be easy to think, but happen very organically and slowly and things lead into another. Just look at what's happening now with fashions. You know, they don't, people don't suddenly start wearing one style of clothing very quickly overnight. It's a slow, slow progression where things will chop and change and one thing will slowly eke out and turn into another. Next, I definitely want to talk about the hairstyles in this show because it can often be a forgotten part of fashion, but is really integral part of what people are wearing and really sums up the sort of styles that were popular in each era and will work very nicely with certain accessories. Edwardian women would have heated their hair with curling irons in the fire on a gas stove or an alcohol lamp designed for the purpose. The hair was then twisted or wrapped around the hot iron. Now these hairstyles in the 1910s would have been fairly long and often worn at the nape of the neck, curled into sort of pony styles, not too dissimilar to what we have today, and later into the 20s would have got shorter and shorter until the natural hairstyle was slightly more below the ear but would have still been unnaturally curled. For example, Lady Edith's hair in series one remains quite long and is styled in a way to sort of recreate the looks of fashionable, slightly shorter hairstyles from this time period. The style she often wears is called a finger wave or a Marcel wave and this too is achieved using one of the curling irons that I mentioned earlier, which we see her maids Anna often perfecting for her in season two. This style was also achieved with a combination of special little clips and really strong pomade which would have kept the hair in the shape that you had put the clips. In season five also Lady Mary cuts her long hair into a stylish short bob much like Louise Brooks of the 1920s and this style is notable for its angular sides and its accentuation of the cheekbones and the jawline. The back of the bob as we see Lady Mary wear would also have been cropped high above the hairline with a pointed base at the nape. Now going back to Sybil's fancy uh, culotte fit, <laughs> her hair is quite interesting. In this scene she wears her hair in a low twisted chignon which would be appropriate for a formal scene in this time period in 1912-1913. However this wouldn't have necessarily been required of her at this point in the series. In the first half of season one we occasionally see her wearing her hair down and long and that is because she had not yet been presented to society so at her age she wouldn't have been expected to stick to such rigorous hair curling 
saying at her age she wouldn't have been expected to stick to such rigorous hair care routines as her older sisters she's only meant to be i think 17 in the first series so that completely changes the expectations of her in terms of fashion but this is obviously in the 1910s moving into the 20s as i said lady mary gets a whole new hairstyle and there's a whole cut scene dedicated to this where she gets her hair a short sleek louise brooks style bob as i explained earlier cut and this serves a similar function to sybil's culotte outfit in season one the term modern gets thrown around a fair bit during this with the dowager saying oh it is you i thought it was a man wearing your clothes <laughs> and her father says it's certainly the sort of thing i would expect from you which makes this hairstyle the perfect addition for her character but also as i said very representative of the time and this is another thing downton does well imbuing kind of changing ideals closely with the fashion and the personal choices of which character is wearing them these are two very clear examples where we can see this happening sybil's outfit and lady mary's hair now with hair in mind i want to talk a little bit about accessories because there are just an abundance of accessories <laughs> in Downton Abbey and they are all so individual, they're so fancy and they're so personal and they're really just such an integral part of the fashion choices made for this show. Hats, for example, were a very, very big part of fashions, particularly in the late 1910s and early 20s, moving into the late 20s a little. But for example, Edith wears a light-coloured hat with this upturned brim quite often and she often, often has a peach hat band to coordinate this with her outfits and this can be seen during the 1920s hat brims became narrower and started to fit closer to the head and this would eventually give way to the cloche style hat which was bell shaped as you will have heard in my hats episode and this really became synonymous with 1920s fashion and so it's natural that edith as the middle sister would have started to adopt this slightly more softer version of 1920s fashion whereas mary would have gone you know full hog and chopped off her hair <laughs> Another one is gloves. The women in this show are rarely seen when dressed up without gloves. Now, gloves are not really a large part of general fashion nowadays, but up until even the 1940s, gloves were an integral part of dressing right, whatever right is. But at that period, they were seen as part of acceptable clothes. Even the outside characters who were only in the show for a little while, such as Lily James's character Rose, who somewhat personifies the transition in the 1920s in this show, is often wearing gloves despite her standing as a younger, more modern character. Lady Mary often wears dark-coloured gloves, not just white and lacy that match her outfits for evening dress, but is still seen wearing dainty, lacy, doily-like gloves in daytime throughout the show, which would have been right for the outfit she was wearing. And this is a detail for me that is just the cherry on top in terms of costuming and it's something often forgotten maybe being seen as unnecessary or superfluous or an extra cost but actually make the outfit so much more authentic and really just finish the look Now, if we're speaking about the 1920s, we have to really speak about the new movie. <laughs> it's set in, I think, around 1928, 1929, which was really a revolutionary moment for post-war fashion. In its May 1928 issue, British Vogue announced in its Vogue's eye view of the mode section, the new school has used all the practicability of the uniform fashion days and does not in any sense emulate the ornamental and unwearable modes of the pre-uniform period. But there is no longer a taboo or novelty and originality 
on variety and individuality in fashion. Now, the designer of the costumes for this movie had a whole interview on Vogue, and I'm going to take some quotes from this, which really sum up some of the brilliant choices that were made in this movie, because personally, I loved the fashions in it. They were perhaps a little bit more commodified and over the top than you see in the TV series, but at the end of the day, this is a movie, and it would have had a more, perhaps, broader reach than something like the TV series, and also is supposed to cement the 1920s for people. So it's a slightly different ball game. Now, as she says, Downton Abbey, A New Era, is set a year on from the original film. So in terms of the style, we're really looking more towards the 1930s trend-wise. After disappearing in the 20s, waists have returned for the upstairs characters. Some of Mary's dresses are worn with waspy-style corsets as well as belts. I've also woven in a lot of nods to her connection with the dowager in this film. Their ball gowns mirrored each other at the end of the last movie, and now Mary wears some of Violet's jewellery. Ah, just so much thought has gone into the clothes for this, particularly for the movie. And I just think it just works so well. I just love it. (laughs) There's so much thought into not just individual characters' outfits, but like I said earlier, their connection with each other and with each family member, and also the repeating of jewellery and the repeating of clothes, which in the 20s and even into the 30s would have been done regularly. I mean, we still do that today, you know? If a piece of jewellery has a personal connection with a family member, you're going to want to wear it because it's just got this sentimentality that we can't get from something we buy new in the shop. She also says when it came to designing Lucy's wedding dress, there's a wedding dress in this movie right at the beginning and it's really lovely and I could not talk about it. (laughs) I found a photograph in a 1920s copy of Vogue that I nearly exactly recreated. It's streamlined through the hips and a layer upon layer of gathered silk tulle flows out around her. She's more down to earth than the other characters who have been married at Downton Abbey. So it felt important that she would be able to lift up her skirts and dance at the reception. Her veil, though, is more elaborate than any of the others. I sourced it through Jane Beauvoir and she wears it with a Bentley and Skinner tiara studded with diamonds and pearls. That's something I spoke about earlier, um, the fact that they hired true era appropriate accessories from Bentley and Skinner and I don't know if you've seen this movie or not but the jewellery particularly in this wedding scene is so fancy (laughs) it is so so fancy and the fact that it's a real tiara studded with diamonds and pearls it's obvious now why it seems so fancy because it was and it worked so perfectly she's a woman of high status getting married in an era where people had quite a lot of money it makes a lot of sense she also says that sportswear exploded in the 30s which is true and look out for an episode on that soon. (laughs) And that's definitely evident in a new era. You see Edith and Bertie, Lucy and Tom playing doubles together. And I found original pieces in a rich cream shade for the girls to wear for the match, contrasting beautifully with the green of the Villa Lawn. Lucy accessorised hers with sunglasses and a headscarf, while Edith has these tiny ankle socks and prim leather heels. You also get to witness the first Downton Abbey character wearing a bathing suit. Tom goes swimming in the med with Lucy in an all-in-one, and they do, and I really 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 noticed this scene the two of them are swimming at the beach and they are in actual swimwear you know not the kind of long-legged long-armed outfits that were often knitted that women would have been expected to wear previous to this but she's in a proper bikini and I think this was a really really smart choice for the costume designers because it completely represents this changing idea of morals in the 1920s and also the different ideals that they had overseas from the UK and they are able to adopt that a little bit more being in the Riviera and I think this was such a smart inclusion because Lucy also is a slightly younger character I 
think. She's a new addition, really, compared to the others who have been there since season one. And the choice for her to wear a more modern bikini is so smart and representative of what we expect to see in the 20s. She also says the Hollywood stars who turn up in Yorkshire to shoot a movie offer a pretty dramatic contrast to the Crawleys in terms of clothes. Myrna is inspired by the likes of Clara Bow and Louise Brooks, but I also looked at Greta Garbo, legend, <laughs> Gloria Swanson and Lillian Gish's wardrobes when sourcing pieces for her. That means she wears a lot of sumptuous, expensive designs, fur stoles and art deco jewellery. When she arrives at Downton Abbey, the camera pans her up and down and you get to see these brilliant original shoes that I managed to find for her and have restored. There's so much here that I don't really need to say much. <laughs> but when we think of the 1920s, we particularly think of these Hollywood stars, the rise of Hollywood and the silent movie era. And their fashions have really come to cement our ideas on the individual outfits for this time period and their silhouettes. And I think the inclusion of someone who represents that so well was perfectly done. Because obviously, don't forget, the Crawleys are, at the end of the day, British upper class. And whilst they would have been allowed to be a little progressive, they would still have had to rigorously quite stick to what was expected of them and the certain fashions that were expected of people of their class and British people particularly. And so I think bringing in someone who exemplifies a different side of the 20s really makes you realise how perhaps stunted some of the Crawley's outfits are but also gives us what we want from the 20s and this, we're often a little false idea of it being a glamorous, liberating era for women. And so the Art Deco jewellery particularly and the inspiration from Greta Garbo and Clara Bow and people like that is really just perfect and represents a side of the 1920s that people really know and love. So to round off, this isn't a particularly long episode, but one that I just think really makes me want to get back and watch Downton Abbey, and I hope it does for you too. Google some images if you haven't seen it, particularly of some of the outfits I mentioned, particularly Lady Mary's riding outfit, Lady Sybil's jupe culotte, all of the outfits in the new movie, they're just brilliant. And you'll really get a taste for what this show does so well and how authentic they are and you'll also get to have a look at some true 1910s and 1920s clothes because as I said they are authentic and sometimes it's difficult to find real examples of these clothes that aren't from the time period seeing them in full technicolor and HD and so this show will really just give you a look into what people might have actually been wearing people from a higher class particularly obviously but the kind of shapes that these would give you the kind of accessories the materials the length all of these brilliant things. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey? But I really think it's interesting to talk a little bit about new sides of the 1920s because it, everyone wasn't flappers. And the progression, like I said, happened very slowly and organically. And things did change, but they also didn't change in maybe the ways people think they did. People were shortening their hair. People were wearing more boxy, boyish dresses. I don't really like that word, but that is a word often associated um, with the fashions of the 20s. But it wasn't how we perhaps see it. Everyone wasn't dressing like the Great Gatsby all the time but as Lady Mary shows us in this show people were wearing shirts they were wearing ties they were perhaps wearing trousers in the right context they weren't expected to stick to the rigorous fashions of the pre-1900s era corsets got softer bras were introduced in 1914 and this show is a little pocket of representation if you want to see these organic changes happen in a slightly more accessible way to actual like historical research because it can be quite 
quite complicated and there's lots of phrases, that he, you know, of clothes that we don't use that might be a bit like, what, what does that mean? I even get that sometimes. But, you know, you even get to see um, the underwear of this era because there are um, scenes where these women are getting dressed by their servants. You get to see authentic jewellery. You get to see authentic hats and shoes and gloves. And this moves so nicely into the softer 1920s styles and also the less soft 1920s styles where a lot of people were still wearing what they were wearing 20 years earlier like we see today <laughs> anyway with that in mind i hope you've enjoyed this episode and this little three-part series on the 1920s i hope i have taught you a little bit about 1920s fashion and maybe you see the era a little bit differently than you did before and maybe you don't and that's fine whatever you want <laughs> stay fab everyone and i'll see you in the next one